a few weeks ago, um, you, you might have been here when I was preaching um, on fellowship, and I was um, just uh, speaking from Ephesians 4.16, which says, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And if you haven't heard it, then um, you might want to go onto the website and um, just have a listen to that. But this morning is really part two of that preach. And I'm going to be looking at some more verses in Ephesians, as I said. The the verse that really stood out for me when I I was looking through this was Ephesians 4.3, where it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Last time I talked about fellowship, this time I'm really talking about unity. But actually, they're like the sort of two sides, really, of the same coin. And you can't have one without the other and have it work well. I love the book of Ephesians. It's one of those books, I mean, you probably have your favorite books too, that somehow you, you go back to more than in any of the other books in the Bible. I'm not sure if we, we should be doing that, but, I, but, but there's just something about it that really speaks to you. And Ephesians is like that for me, because what you find is there's a, almost like a golden thread that runs through it of the Apostle Paul's marvel and wonder at the incredible grace and glory of God that not only reconciles man to himself um, through Jesus, but brings about a family of believers who are united to one another in his spirit. And you see that running right through Ephesians. And, and Paul is like, sometimes it's like he hasn't got the words to describe how amazing this work is, this work of God. Five times in Ephesians, he refers to the riches of God. Twelve times to the grace of God. The glory of God is mentioned eight times, and the words in Christ are used 15 times. And that's just in six chapters, which is is pretty good going. But as I said, you'll be glad that we're not looking at all six chapters this morning, or you'd probably still be here at at Christmas. But we're going to just start uh, in chapter 3, and we're going to see what we can discover that Paul speaks of when he talks about Christian unity. If you could put up the first bit for me. There, she says, hopefully, brilliant. Okay. We're going to start in in, in verse 6. Paul has been talking before that about this mystery, this mystery that's been revealed to him by the Spirit, this mystery that's been made made known to the apostles and the prophets. And when we get to um, to, um, verse 6, it tells us what that mystery is. It says this, This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Now, you probably think, yeah, we know that. We know that it started with the Jews, and then Jesus came, and the Gentiles got included, and it was Paul that kind of went out and preached to the Gentiles. But do you know what a very shocking statement that is? It doesn't feel very shocking to us. But if you spoke to a, a Jew in those days, they, they, they would have believed that the spiritual separation between them and the Gentiles, the non-Jews, was absolute. It was an absolute truth. And so the idea that you could be equal in some spiritual sense with non-Jews was just not in their way of thinking. And in fact, if you said that, it would almost have sounded blasphemous. It was an inconceivable idea. And yet here is Paul, 
Not saying, well, there's going to be an alliance of Jews and Gentiles. Well, you know, we're all going to just work together and and sort of get along um, and, you know, make it work. No, he's saying that through the gospel, the Gentiles are members of the same body with the Jews. God has brought them together and created something new. We talk about, don't we, being new creations in him. You know, when we're born again, we become a new creation. And we tend to think of that quite sort of as as individuals, quite individualistically. But actually, there's something new that God created, which wasn't just about individuals. He created this new body. And if you heard me um, speak last time, then you'd have heard me say that it's a body that is perfectly fitted and knitted together. And it's meant to grow and to build itself up in love. Unity is not dependent on uniformity or conformity. It's actually about reconciliation. And, you know, God has always been in the business of bringing unlikely things and unlikely people together. I only have to look around this congregation to know that's true. <laughs> we, you know, some of us, if we were not Christians and we just met out in the street, we would probably think we had nothing in common. I, um, I've just started working on a, on a project with someone else um, in the church. And um, I'm not going to go into the details, but when I, when I was thinking about this, I actually had no intentions of, of kind of getting alongside someone else. It was something that I wanted to work on. And God prompted me to, to ask this person, hey, hey I'm, I'm working on this. Do you want to come alongside me? And yet, actually, we're, we're quite unlikely people to get together to do it. Um, and last time we met, she said to me, she said, I can't really believe this. We're doing this together. Who would have ever put you and me together? And I'm like, really? Am I that bad? <laughs> but no, you see, God brings he knows our strengths he knows our weaknesses he knows his plan he knows his purposes and he just delights in bringing um, people together who you wouldn't normally necessarily have put together he is in the business of bringing things together I've gone off my notes as usual let's find where I am yeah so there is the vertical um, reconciliation between God and man we get that don't we But there is also, through Jesus, there is intended that we have this horizontal reconciliation too. So, for example, at the fall, the relationship between man and God was damaged, wasn't it? You know, that we know what happened when sin came into the world. And it broke that perfect relationship that man and God had. But it did something else as well. See, it damaged the perfect relationship that there had been between Adam and Eve. So it had the same impact on the relationship between them as it had had between man and God. But Jesus came so that all things could be reconciled to him. And so the relationships that we have, whether it's male or female, whatever the relationships that we have, are meant to be reconciled. We are meant to be one. We are meant to get along. We are meant to work together. We are meant to love one another. It doesn't matter what our gender is. It doesn't matter what our race is. It doesn't matter whether we're rich or poor, educated or uneducated. Jesus is the center. Jesus is the one in whom everything unites. And then the work of the Holy Spirit in us is the bond that holds us together. We are one in Christ. If we can put up whatever bit has Ephesians 3.8. Oh, it's there. Great. All right. So Ephesians 3.8. Paul says this. 
Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Now is that the, yeah, you've got the same interpretation. Sometimes it says the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul is talking about these unsearchable riches of Christ, these boundless riches of Christ. What does it mean? Well, and what's it got to do with unity? John Stott, who was um, an English Anglican priest noted, for, um, noted as, a, as a leader of a, a worldwide evangelical movement, I guess probably in the 70s. I'm not that good on I'm looking at Mark. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, in the 70s. And he looked at this verse and he, he tried to come up with different words to describe those unsearchable riches of Christ. And he came up with quite a few, but I've just picked out three of them. He said this. He said that the boundless riches of Christ are limitless inexhaustible and infinite. And eventually he concluded that what we know for certain about the riches of Christ is that we shall never come to the end of them. In other words, there is no limit to the resources for us, or as we might say here, there is always more. And when we think about the unity that Paul's talking about, because we're talking, he's talking about unity here, it's in the context of the power and the resources of God that are at work in us and are available to us, which really should encourage us. Because again, if it's just left to us, unity is not a particularly easy thing, is it, to achieve. But it's not all about us. It's not all about our limited resources. It's about the boundless riches of Christ within us, what's available to us. Ephesians um, 4, 14 to 15. We might need to move it along a bit for that. I think we'll let Jeff do that. So Ephesians 4, 14, uh, sorry, 3. I'm sorry, Jeff. 3, 14 to 15. Paul says this. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Now, this is a kind of interesting little phrase as well. That word family in there. See, I really love to kind of look back at the Greek words because um, they get translated in the kind of context of the whole passage, but sometimes just knowing what the word means gives you a, a bit of a different understanding. And that word, the word for family, is actually the word patria, which means father. And so what Paul's talking about is the lineage of the whole family of God it means that we, we share one father. doesn't matter what denomination you're in. If you're a Christian, you share the same father, and therefore, you are family. And so again, Paul is pointing out here the unity of all believers before he goes on to say what he wants for them in um, the next passage. Verses um, tw- 16 to 21 are, are very well known, very well known passages. I'm just going to read those out to you. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. 
Amen. And see this whole passage is amazing. We just feel our kind of, you know, joy and faith rising with that passage. And so many of us, you know, have loved it and looked at it and just thought about what that means for me as the individual to know the love that surpasses knowledge, to be filled to the measure of God, to, you know, have that love of Christ so rooted and established in us. And yet, actually, this is so much more, this passage, than aimed at an individual, the individual. You know, when Paul finishes it, he says to him, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. It's about grasping this as a body of God's people. It's about seeing this at work in our family, in our church family, and in the church family across the world. It's about unity in that love. It's about unity in that power. It's about unity in God, in knowing that God will do all we ask or imagine. I was so pleased when Emily, um, she's still here, but when Emily kind of changed the words to say we at some point in one of those songs, didn't she? You know, we believe he's going to do it again. And we have to have that sense of the we when we read these passages as well as the sense of me as an individual. So what is it that Paul is, is actually wanting for them? Well, I've got three things I've taken from that passage. First of all, he wants strength and power in their inner being, for them to know strength and power in their inner being. Now, if you were here last week, you would have heard um, Pete preach. And if you didn't, I would really recommend that you listen to it. And he used a fantastic illustration in that preach um, where he took two cans of drink, um, two fizzy cans of drink, and um, he drank one. And then he asked Patrick, who's, um, who was here in the first service, and you know Patrick is quite a big chap, isn't he? And he asked him to come up, and he said, okay, Patrick. He gave him the full can. He said, okay, Patrick, crush that can. And Patrick tried with all his might and main, but he could not crush that can. And so then Pete said to Catherine down here, who is quite a petite, slight sort of lady, aren't you? Um, you know, Catherine, you come up and see what you can do. And he handed Catherine the empty can. And guess what? Catherine crushed it just like that. And Pete says to Patrick, what's wrong with you, Patrick? But what Pete said that was about, it was about what was going on inside the can. It was about the internal reality of that can. So when it had got the the liquid in it, it was kind of pretty well uncrushable. When um, it was empty, it was really, really easy to crush. And this is what Paul is talking about. He's talking about what's going on in our inner being, our inner reality. We need to have that strength and that power in um, our inner being, if you like. The power and the strength that comes from those unsearchable, boundless, wonderful riches of Christ that has everything that we need. And if we don't have that, then you get the effects of that, if you like, on the outside. So when difficulties come along, we can be easily crushed. But not, not only that, it's actually quite hard to live in unity with other people when there's kind of um, a lack of strength and power on the inside. Because if there's a lack of his love and strength and power and all that on the inside, then we tend to have other things going on the inside. We tend to have woundedness going on in the inside. We might have fear going on the inside or insecurity to people like me. And when we have that going on the inside, what happens is when someone says something that kind of pokes a sore place or they offend us, we react to that and we get offended by that and you get that breakdown in relationship. So we need that inner reality and Paul knows that, that inner reality of a strength and power in our inner being. 
And the second thing that Paul wants them to have is he wants them to know the love of Christ, both in their experience, rooted and established, and in their knowledge, to grasp and to know. And to grasp means not just to kind of think, oh, I think I might just have a bit of that. It means to grasp it. It means to lay hold of it. It means to not let go of it. It means that you're just going to hang on to it for dear life. And why? What's the purpose? And that's the third thing. The third thing is because he wants them to be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. And when we really grasp and understand what it means to be loved and accepted, when we truly know who he is and who we are, when we have that strength and that power within us, then we start to be who we were always intended to be, filled with all he is, powerful sons and daughters. See, it changes our internal reality. John Calvin says this, he said, if we have Christ, we have everything that is required to our perfection in God, for this is what is meant by the fullness of God. So, you know, it means that I am filled to the fullness, the perfection of who God is. Now, I don't know how you feel about that, but very often I do not feel that I'm full of the perfection of God. And Sometimes, you know, when we're kind of in church and we're all being lovely to one another and how are you? I'm fine. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine too. We're all fine. That's wonderful, isn't it? But when you get home, when you get home and you're kind of dealing with everything of every day, I know the one that sees the worst of me is my husband. He does not always get the perfection of Christ. If he says, are you fine? I might be fine or I might be going off about something or the other. Now, that's, the, that's where the rubber hits the road with our, those who are closest to us, those who we love the most. But we have everything within us to be, you know, or available for us to be filled with the fullness of God. Trouble is, we haven't always grasped it yet. Um, I was talking to uh, another Sozo leader in another church. Sozo's in a healing ministry, if there's anyone here that doesn't know that. Um, and uh, she was just talking about a sozo that she'd been doing. Now, we're very careful when we talk about sozo never to um, give any personal details or, you know, uh, break any comp- confidences. But she was sharing it for another reason. And it just made me think when I was, you know, preaching, uh, preparing this pe- preach, this, um, this guy that she was sozoing, there was lots of stuff going on. He was really struggling in his life. And, uh, and yet every time something came up in the sozo, he would say, it's under the blood. So they go, yeah, and it's under the blood. Well, it just begs the Danny Silk question, and how is that working out for you then? And the thing was, it wasn't, because it wasn't a lie. Everything actually, I mean, it's a very, you know, kind of a jargony phrase, but everything in some sense is under the blood, because Jesus did everything that is necessary. But it was up here. It wasn't an internal reality. And so he was desperately trying to keep saying it. If I say it long enough that he's under the blood, maybe all these kind of issues will go away. And of course they weren't because he wasn't dealing with the root problems. I mean, God is really good. And he got lots of freedom in that sozo and and was able to kind of realize what was going on and stop saying it's under the blood. But sometimes it's like that, isn't it, with us? We just, we just, we kind of know it, but we haven't really got it yet. Okay, so what's all that got to do with unity? Well... 
in the first three chapters of Ephesians, um, we kind of see the whole work of God's, God's work of reconciliation set out. And then in chapter four, Paul really starts to write what the implications of that work of reconciliation are. So if we could put up the beginning of four. Brilliant. Thank you. He's doing a good job there. Okay. So if God made us one people, one family, one body, if we grasp the love and the endless riches of Christ that are available to us, then we should start to act towards one another on the outside, reflecting that internal reality within us. So not just signing up to the idea of unity. We're all one in Jesus, but walking it out. Ephesians 4, 1-2, Paul says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Paul is urging us to live lives worthy of our calling. And then he sort of goes on to tell us what that should look like. So it should look like humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. But, you know, that word worthy is another funny word. Because if you translated that um, directly from the Greek, what it actually means is bringing up the other end of the scale. So in other words, these things are true, the grace and the riches in Christ and the mercy and the love and everything that you've received. So your life should come up and work in balance with that. So your your lives together should reflect that. And so it's like it balances those scales. Does that make sense? Unity is the foundation on, what every, on which everything we do should be built. Before Jesus went to the cross, he prayed that we would be one in the same way that he and the Father were one. Which is, I mean, that just blows my mind. That is such a wow statement, isn't it? Because what an amazing witness it would be to the world if we always acted like that was true. That we are one in the same way that Jesus and the Father were one. But again, this is all about a heart attitude. It's all about that right internal reality of love and peace, strength, power, humility, that leads to unity, not just in what we um, do, but in who we are. Because when we have that kind of internal reality, what happens is, you know, we can mess up. We can make mistakes. We can own those mistakes. It's not a badge of shame to have to say, I'm sorry for what I've done. And equally, we can let others make mistakes and still forgive them and allow them to clear up their messes and to still react in love towards them. And so we get to that verse 3 of chapter 4. I read at the beginning, where Paul says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. The unity of the spirit allows completely diverse and different people to be one body. But we do have to work at it. We do have to partner with God's work of reconciliation. See, Paul says, make every effort. He doesn't say, just sit there and it will happen. He says we have to do something about it. We have to work at it. And my question to you is, how much effort are you willing to put in? When is effort too much? When do you say, I've just given up on that? And not only how much effort are you willing to put in, but how 
Willing are you to acknowledge your own mistakes and clean up those messes and ask for forgiveness when it's needed? And how quick are you to forgive others and to let go of the offence? Do you look to see the best in someone or do you look to see the worst? We're different kinds of people. And sometimes, you know, it's very out there with people, isn't it? You know, some people are just very out there. They just kind of, they think it, they say it. And that is sometimes a very good thing. But sometimes, you know, when, you, when, when somebody offends you and you're just kind of out there and you're just saying it, you know, you, you know you've really offended me, I'm not going to... We, kind of, we might look at that and think, oh, yeah, you know, no, that's not the right way to be, tut, tut. You know, that's not um, kind of being loving and everything. But we can do something else which is just the same. And that is we take that, and maybe worse, we actually take that offence on the inside So we don't say anything. We don't go up to them and say, you've offended me, or, you know, I'm really angry at you, or I don't feel very loving towards you. But we let it kind of go round and round on the inside, and it kind of becomes part of that internal reality. And so things don't get sorted, and it kind of just bubbles away there until maybe something else kind of sets it off. But we're not meant to live like that, are we? We're meant to go to our brother when he's offended us. And we're meant to want to sort it out. So whether you're someone that sometimes lets your tongue get the better of you and you kind of snap at someone, or whether you're someone that kind of has it all on the inside and kind of lets it brew around and maybe sulks for a bit or whatever it is you do, you know, those things need to be given back to God and say, God, you know, I, I want my, my internal reality just to be full of that love and power that you can give me so that actually when I'm kind of um, responding to other people, I do it out of that sense of love and unity. Okay, let's just see where we've got to. Right, there's, lo- there's lots of stuff I could say here, but let's just go to the end of chapter 4 and the start of chapter 5. So 4.32. And there's a bit more of the same, isn't it, what it should look like um, when we kind of live in fellowship and unity together. 4.32 says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God, uh, sorry, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So the summary, if you like, of how we apply this to our own lives is following God's example and loving one another as Christ loved us. That's quite a high standard, isn't it? So as we apply that, we can think about big scale and we can think about closer to home. So here, one of the things we like to do is work across stream. There was a time some years ago in this country where, you know, there was such a division amongst different kind of um, groups of Christians, different denominations, different streams. But I think we've seen in recent years how God has really been doing something to help us bridge those gaps and to work across streams. So whether we're, you know, looking at um, the healing centre where we have 16, I think, different churches helping us with that and ministering there, whether we think about things like Heaven in Healthcare or Living Fire where we work with other churches, what we're doing is we're saying we want to connect with you where we agree, not part where we disagree. Do you see the difference? So we should be looking for places that we agree so that we can work together, knowing that actually we are all his brothers and sisters. It's very easy to look at another denomination or another group of Christians and start to make judgments. And if if we aren't careful, we can find ourselves in the same place as the kind of Jews and the Gentiles where we say, well, I'm right 
So really that means you're wrong. And then we start to think what I have is more valuable than what you have. But God says we are one body and we all have access to those boundless riches of of Christ, whether we kind of um, access them or not. And then just closer to home, just to leave you with this, to follow his example, we need to know him and we need to seek him and we need to follow him. Because we can get a bit lazy sometimes. Um, We can um, enjoy coming and worshipping. We can enjoy kind of just kind of laying there in his presence. That's all good stuff. I'm not saying it's not. But how often, you know, in the rest of the week, in our daily busy lives, do we actually go out of our way to seek him? You know, pick up our Bible, read something, actually find out more about this God that we love. Or, you know, how often do we stop for a moment and just say, God, you know, where are you right this moment in my life? Because if we, if we want um, if we want something to change, if we want to see greater unity amongst, we want to see that stronger internal reality, then we have to go and out of our way to seek him. Um, wounds and strongholds in our lives, feeling overwhelmed by difficulties. You know, sometimes those things get in the way. And if there's something going on for you, we have a transformation center here. We have Sozo here. If there are issues with marriages or whatever, we have love after marriage. We have counseling. We have lots of things that you can access if you know there's something that needs to change. I want to challenge you to go away this week, read Ephesians, think again about the incredible work of reconciliation that Christ did on the cross. And think about how that affects the way you respond to other people. Do you get up sometimes and just go and say hello to someone you don't know that seems to be quite different to you? Do you make that effort to say, hi, we're part of the same family? Or in a large church like that, this, is it easy, easier just to kind of sit with the people you know or connect with people that you feel you've got something in common with? We are a diverse group of people here, and that is a wonderful thing. So just as we're finishing, would you like to stand with me? And if you're close enough, can you just reach out a hand and put it on the person's shoulder next to you? To remind yourself that you're all part of the same family. And if you're not um, from this church, it doesn't matter if you're just visiting because actually you're still part of the family because we are all one body in Christ. And I'm just going to pray for us. And if you know that there's something that you need in your life around reconciliation, or if you know there's something in, in your life where you just you want more of that internal reality, whatever it is, then you can just be asking God about that as I'm praying. Yeah, so Father, thank you for your amazing work of reconciliation in Christ. Father, thank you that you reconciled us to you. Father, we long to be reconciled to greater measure one with another and to know that internal reality, that strength, that power within us, to know that love deep within us. And Father, we ask now that you would make us one so that when the world looks at us, it sees you, it sees your love. Father, for every person in this room, I ask that you would meet with them in a new way this week, that you would make yourself more real, that you would give them more of your boundless riches, that you would meet them wherever they are, Father God, with that love and that grace and that mercy, so that we can learn how to extend it out to others. Thank you, Father, for all that you're doing among us. Amen.